0: Gracious Lord, we give you thanks for the gift of your son, for the blood that he shed in order to atone us, to bring us back to you, to forgive our sins, to set us free from the curse and the burden of the law. Lord, we pray that as your Holy Spirit comes among us now, that you would illuminate the study of your word and give us a deeper understanding and appreciation for how you continue to meet us here at your altar. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. uh, So we get started here. We want to share a very important headline from Babylon B, my favorite fake news uh, website, which reports that a violence-free Bible is now available. <laughs> a violence-free version in imitation leather, of course. We know what you're thinking. Why does the Bible have to be so, you know, violent? Any honest look at human history shows we've progressed beyond all that barbaric, blood-soaked, pillaged the Canaanites, Old Testament stuff. In the 21st century after all, it's the 21st century after all, we all know that love wins. God's all about peace, rainbows, and self-esteem. Nobody wants to open their Bible and get smacked in the face with images displaying the gory consequences of sin, the grisly certitude of death, and the murderous nature of the human heart. Wars, yuck. Animal sacrifice, blah. Disembowelment, disgusting. Well, you're in luck. Just in time for the holidays, the Coalition of Progressive Christian Publishers has come together to bring us a new violence-free version of God's holy word. All right. It's a joke. Not a real thing, okay? Uh, But it cracked me up. Oh, it actually goes on with a lot of examples. I'll I'll read a couple of these. Uh, Angered by humanity's sin, God drowns the earth in a global flood of puppies and candy. (laughs) the Israelites and their Egyptian captors collaborate to reduce their collective carbon footprint, causing the Red Sea to lower. <laughs> and the shepherd boy, David, defeats the Philistine Goliath in a casual 5K fun run to combat leprosy. <laughs> anyway. 28
1: pages, right? That's right. <laughs>
0: uh, there's a lot of blood, guts, and gore in the Bible, not least in the book of Leviticus. And here, in some respects, is kind of the epicenter of it, as God explains his take on blood. And a particular verse in this chapter that we're going to look at is so essential and vital for us understanding throughout the Bible why blood is so important, why God seems hung up on it. We're going to uh, read here. It's actually a pretty short chapter. I'm confident that we're going to get through all of it, he says. Let me read verses 1 through 9, first half of the, of the chapter here. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons and to all the people of Israel and say to them, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. If anyone of the house of Israel kills an ox or a lamb or a goat in the camp or kills it outside the camp and does not bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting to offer it as a gift to the Lord in front of the tabernacle of the Lord... Blood guilt shall be imputed to that man. He has shed blood, and that man shall be cut off from among his people. This is to the end, that the people of Israel may bring their sacrifices, that they sacrifice in the open field, that they may bring them to the Lord, to the priest, at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and sacrifice them as sacrifices of peace offerings to the Lord. And the priest shall throw the blood on the altar of the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and burn the fat for a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So they shall no more sacrifice their sacrifices to goat demons after whom they whore. It shall be a statute forever for them throughout their generations. And you shall say to them, Any one of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice and does not bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting to offer it to the Lord, that man shall be cut off from his people. All right. So here you have some very strong language First of all, expressing the fact that the worship of God is located. The worship of God is located. God could be a good real estate agent here, right? Location, location, location. When it comes to the sacrifices that are offered here, God says not just any old place, but it needs to happen where? Says it three, four times. At the entrance of the tent of meeting. God is really adamant that here's where these sacrifices are need to be offered, not just out in the field, not just any old place. Why do you suppose that is? Just as, you know, first impressions, hearing that, thinking about that, why does God make such a big deal about this location of the the sacrifice? He's a God of
1: order, and uh, he wants, wants things to be... Order. Yeah, he's a, he's
0: a God of order, scripture says, a God of shalom, God of peace, and so he wants things to be done orderly rather than just any, haphazardly any old place. Okay, yeah, good. Yeah, man. I think it's going to bring people into interaction with the priests as well. Sure. Yeah, they can't fake it. They can oh yeah, yeah, we sacrificed. Yes, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you can't fake it. They can't keep, you know, the live stream statistics of, you know, I'm sacrificing at home here. No, it's that it has to be gathered together um, and verifying the, the sacrifice in that way. You need to have that interaction with the priest, and for their own certainty too, because they're not going to know if you just offer it anywhere. You're not going to have that confidence that it's going to be uh, uh, well received. Yeah.
2: Um, God locates Himself obviously in the tabernacle uh, in a very specific place and that's where they were meant to meet him. Right. So sacrificing out in a field or something is kind of a willy-nilly, I I pick the place and time where I will meet God. Right. Um, No, he picks the time and place where he meets us. Right. And it's just like there's no other name under heaven by which we may be saved.
0: That's exactly right, and, that's, and, and we're going to go there momentarily because this is very much God's saying, it's on my terms, not on your human terms, uh, where and how you, you meet me, um, but where I locate myself, where I make my name to dwell. And uh, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 12 because he continues to elaborate on this theme in Deuteronomy 12. this is obviously after Leviticus. So um, in a sense, it's further exposition of what we have in in Leviticus 17. All right. Um, Let me pick up in uh, verse 4 of Deuteronomy 12. It says, You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way, but you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. There you shall go. And there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes and the contribution that you present, your vow offerings, your freewill offerings, and the firstborn of your herd and of your flock. And there you shall eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your household, and all that you undertake, in which the Lord your God has blessed you. You shall not do according to all that we are doing here today, everyone doing whatever is right in his own eyes. For you have not as yet come to the rest and to the inheritance that the Lord your God has giving you. But when you go over the Jordan and live in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and when he gives you rest from all your enemies around, so that you live in safety, then to the place that the Lord your God will choose, to make his name dwell there. There you shall bring all that I command you your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the contribution that you present, and all your finest vow offerings that you vow to the Lord. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughters, your male servants and your female servants And the Levite that's within your town, since he has no portion or inheritance with you. Take care that you don't offer your burnt offerings at any place that you see, but at the place that the Lord will choose in one of your tribes. There you shall offer your burnt offerings, and there you shall do all that I'm commanding you. All right. So it makes it unmistakable where I place my name, that's where you are to meet me. That's where you are to bring the sacrifices. Because it's there that is the place of atonement. There's the place where I meet with you, where I have located myself for your salvation. If you do it just any old place, very willy-nilly, you're not going to have that confidence. And there might be something more going on there, too, which we'll mention just in a moment. But it struck me, I did just a Google image search for worship. And what you have here, when I did that, these are like the first images that popped up. And these are just three from literally hundreds variations on the same theme now when you see that what do you observe about these <coughs> pictures what do they kind of have in common they're,
1: they're alone outside.
0: okay they're alone they're solitary the
1: sun.
0: the sun okay yeah that's that's good i heard another one they're outside, they're outside. okay and then all yeah there's always it's always arms up i'm outside i'm by myself it's worship question can this be worship?
2: yes
0: yes okay you can you are able to worship and we'll talk more about this here in just a minute yes you can worship the Lord in those settings and it would be um, quite wrong of us to say no you should turn your heart off and not you know honor or <laughs> exalt the Lord under a beautiful sunset or in the face of mountains or, or what have you but what might these these pictures and these ideas of worship leave out what are some of these things that the, this is just insufficient. At if that's your picture of worship, yeah. That's Where's true. the cross? Where's the cross? Okay, so that's a good a good place to start. Where is that that place and that symbol of atonement? Sure, it's just any old god that you could be kind of worshiping up there.
2: We're told to fellowship yes, with others, so right. there's no fellowship there. Very
0: solitary, isolated. It's just me. It's just me and the sun god. You know, Mm -hmm. out here? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I saw another hand over here. I was just
1: going to say, cut off from the body. If this is your only form of worship, um, like the service today, it's
0: not all there. Yeah, exactly. Cut off from the body. Yeah, Bob, were you going
2: to? Of all the things that would make the most sense for me, there are beautiful pictures of people worshiping, but rather than only the artifacts, who who are they worshiping? Yes. Are they worshiping the creation? Are they worshiping? I mean, in the end, there's only one worship, and that's dedicated to the presence of God and His Son. That's right. And and if they are worshiping the Son in that place, then that's beautiful worship, even if they're by themselves. Son. Mm-hmm. Son. Son. Yes. yes right. <laughs> but um. But you know, if if it's something else, in in. The posture of worship is beautiful. Over, arms open, right, right, to the Lord, um, or the one with his hand up—that's That's almost a sign of humility. Yeah, of no, submission. But the specificity—is it, it to the Son or not? Right, S-O-N, or yep. not to the S-O-N? Yes,
0: indeed. Yeah, Anne. Um, two things. What something that stands
1: out to me is that these they, none of these are places where you could get you know on a regular basis. Like sure. You're not going to go out to any of these spots every Tuesday or whatever. Right. Well, like Michigan. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you are, but not right now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so it's not like a meet me here kind of place. Yeah. Like Meet me on the mountaintop every week. Right, right. That's not going to happen. Um, but then also, of course, there's a lot of times in scripture where God does single people out and meet sure. them, you know, Jacob, Moses. Yeah, Elijah. You know, yeah, he, he meets them in the wilderness <coughs> and it's like, oh, you know, God was here and I didn't know. Um, but for that to be our only idea of worship, is very impoverished. Yeah, if yes. If God is not there for all of us, then what's the
0: point? Yeah, that's that's very well put. That's right. So it's not that these things, that those can't be places of worship. But if that's your view, your principal view of worship, then it's going to be, it's kind of a one-off thing when you're, at, you know, out in creation having a, a real spiritual moment. And the fact of the matter is, most of worship looks a lot more commonplace, right? It's with, you know, the people that God has given to us and the places that he has, has set apart and that doesn't mean that you can't also worship him by yourself and you know other such environs but first and foremost it's with the people of God in the house of God. So and then from that then we're able to go out into the world and recognize the, the presence of God in these different places too. So well, how does place still impact worship? I mean how, how does you know coming to our old sanctuary and and being there is do you notice that there's something about the place itself that affects the, the way that we worship? Or just, I don't know, kind of open-ended question there. But just that connection between place of worship. Yeah.
1: Well, I think our sanctuary here at Arcadia creates a, um, a sacred space. Sacred space, good. We, we know that it's, it's been sanctified. And we know that, that God has promised where two or three are gathered together in His name, yes, He's yeah, there. That's right. So we know we're coming into the presence of the Lord, and the um, the altar mm-hmm. is is um, reminiscent of of the altar yeah. for the atonement, right. and we have the the, the cup and, and the bread, all the symbols in the baptismal font. Right. You know, it all kind of speaks to the fullness yeah. of, of the experience of yes. being in the Lord's presence yeah. and all he has done for us.
0: Yes, that's a good word. The fullness of the experience of, of worshiping God. Where When you come into the sanctuary, does it have to be in the sanctuary such as ours? Of course not. But everything about it is kind of oriented toward, gears us toward the worship of God. So that when you come in there, it kind of like feels like, okay, this is a, a worshipful space. Yeah, but...
2: Not forget that as uh, church body singing the hymns of praise.
0: Yeah, that's right. Singing, singing the hymns of praise. That that is is part of the worship as well, and doing that in the fellowship of other people who may or may not be able to sing good, and that doesn't matter. <laughs> so, yeah, Priscilla.
1: We've worshipped in a lot of places around the world. and yeah. a lot of them do not look like right. our sanctuary. Correct. But it was the presence of God. And yes. so where God locates Himself. Yep. So whether it's under the tree with the body of believers. Yep. Or whether it's mm-hmm. wherever, but it's Catacomb. Where God is located. Right. And I think that's important to know that not to get too hung up on the physical. Yeah. Attributes.
0: Yeah. Um, the Casey, were you gonna?
1: We just to piggyback that we uh, I went to Haiti about four years ago, mm. um, and we went to the Alps. Outpost churches. Yeah. And one of them was, oh my
0: gosh, almost a four-hour hike. Oh. But they did this every
1: oh Sunday, yeah. at least, and there was days throughout the week that oh. it was just a tent, a big tent, right, up on the mountain. Yeah. And uh, super simple. Super chairs simple. And yes. People had to stand.
0: What make what makes it a holy place is that the presence of, of God is there, yeah. and when we ha- when you, if you have a beautiful sanctuary. Praise God for it. Like, don't don't take it for granted, but recognize He's able to meet us in in whichever place. Yeah.
2: Beyond the building, and I think it's, it, the building is, is intended to complement. But we anticipate meeting Him because His Word is here. Yes, and right. His sacraments are here, and He told us, regardless of any other building, I'll meet you here. Yeah, that's right. And and we hold to those things because. There in a sense, I mean, he constructed the tabernacle. I mean, he gave the blueprints to Moses. Right. Well, he constructed our tabernacle. Yeah. He gave us his son, and through his son, he gave us the meeting places. Yes. The word and the sacraments. Yep. And um, wherever they go and wherever they're faithful, they he you know is. he's going to be there. Yep. I mean, I come here to Arcadia um, because I know out here. God speak. Right. I can go to other Lutheran churches that are beautiful, or other churches, and I'm not sure I'll hear God speak. Even even in the Missouri Synod. I mean, as a district president, I was happy the liturgy was there and the sacraments were there because the sermons sucked. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: no comment. No
0: comment. <laughs> <laughs> um, go, go ahead, Becky.
1: Well, <laughs> today. Kind of did what felt like, you know, the Emory Family Lutheran Tour. and um,
0: That was your band name, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: um, I did more than once say to the kids, I do not want to hear about if you like the architecture or not. I don't want to hear I hate organ. I don't want to hear about, you know, love that lady's sweater. I, I Is there truth here? Pews are comfortable. Yeah, that's, those things are things. We're listening for truth today. Right. And that's what we're looking for, right the woodwork or the yes. you know, light fixtures or whatever. Right.
0: Yeah, Yolanda.
1: When we were in uh, Turkey to see the hmm. Hagia Sophia, oh, yeah. the original windows of the cathedral that it was were still structured with the cross. Really? Oh, yeah. And I'm sure they've changed them now. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. And that was. It <laughs>
0: was a place of wor- Christian worship. Yeah, Sandy and Leslie.
1: to the samaritan woman goddess spirit yes and he's seeking
0: us to worship in spirit and in truth yes and that says our right we'll get there in just a second okay. yeah very good yeah listen.
2: i see it as a place of safety
0: place of safety it's a sanctuary it's that's sanctuary, what it's called sanctuary means, right you know, but yeah
2: just you know you walk in there and peaceful yeah And any place that you worship should feel like, should feel like that.
0: Yeah. And there is something, you can't even put it into words, but just how when a a space has been set apart for prayer and worship for as long as our sanctuary has, Mm -hmm. it's almost like the walls absorb it in a a sense. It just feels like a well-worn pair of jeans, you know? Mm -hmm. You slide right into it like this is a place. Can it only be in in such a place? No. But... it is a blessing to have a place that helps to facilitate that. Mm-hmm. Let me say, too, um, uh, on this note, because I picked on Becky already, and she thought that I was going to uh, miss her, but for Casey as well. So um, well, <laughs> so uh, Casey also has started this week helping with our, our church cleaning and so grateful hey. for it. Um, now, <clears throat> yes. and um, be- Because, again, keeping a beautiful space, um, that doesn't, like, Somehow win us points in heaven or something like that, but it's part of our witness to our neighbors, and it's a way to, to honor God. And so I'm so grateful for um, Casey to help with that. So and everything I said about with Becky, you know, goes for Casey as well. So don't come up to her. Why, well, you know, I found a piece of salt. <laughs> the salt is like glitter. It, it, it yeah, it just keeps multiplying. So anyway, all right, let's let's press forward because not only does God focus on that location, location, location? But his worship is exclusive too. So did you catch this? I mean, it's hard to miss it. The, the nearest reason that he gives in verse seven, why it's, he's so adamant about the location. So they shall no, no more sacrifice their sacrifices to goat demons after whom they whore. This shall be a statute forever for them throughout their generations. I mean, Pastor Newton can attest as well, goat demons are a huge issue within the church Still today, no. But um, we've got our own issues. But what's the what's the problem there? What was underneath of it? Well, um, first of all, um, there's the idea the the goat demon. um, It was kind of similar to um, like in Greek mythology the satyr. Now let me just tell you, having been reprimanded by my five year old daughter, don't do any searches for satyrs on the internet. Okay? So I was kind of scrolling through looking for this and. My daughter comes over and she says, ah, Daddy, you should not be looking at pictures like that.
1: <laughs>
0: because suffice it to say, this is like the most PG one that I could find. All right? Um, because the satyrs and the goat demon, they, uh, they were known for being fertility gods, was one of the things. And so what would happen, as people were trying to, so to speak, cover their bases, they would make sacrifices in the open fields. They would shed the blood into the ground, into the earth, as a way to appease the goat demon, to appease the, the demons that lived in the countryside. And so this is another reason, perhaps, why God is, is saying, I mean, not perhaps, this is what he says. So that, and I, I find it interesting too, so that they shall no more sacrifice to the goat demons. God's like, look, I know you guys are out there sacrificing the goat demons. Enough already, all right? Stop it. Um, but it's that kind of idolatry that thinks, okay, I'm going to worship God But it's all right if maybe I kind of, you know, hedge my bets a little bit. Now, again, we don't do this sort of thing still today. That's why you will never see anybody with, uh, for instance, a rabbit's foot. Uh on. (laughs) As you all hide your keychains really quick. Um, Just to give one example. Like, I think that there's so many ways that we will still kind of hedge our bets. How can I just kind of cover my bases? Make sure. Yeah, Margo. Well, we do know there are demons out there. Oh, yeah, 100%. And, I mean, Scripture uh, references this, that be careful that you're not worshiping demons, making your offering up, and that Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. So, yeah, this is not to be taken lightly.
2: Yeah. It's not only a different person, but totally different philosophy. Yeah. I mean, we dealt constantly, one of the and I, with literal blood sacrifices. Right. They called them the Unidos. Could be demons, could be dead ancestors, didn't matter. But the direction was I'm doing this contractually with you, so you're bound to take care of me. Right. Or you showed me you were going to do something bad unless I did this, so I've done it, now you need to. And so out there, they're literally buying the goodwill of yes. the demons who may actually own that piece of property. Hmm. Quite frankly, it works. I know it works all over animism because it works. Mm-hmm. It, you know, we might use fertilizer. They use goat's blood right. and, and the blessing of uh, spiritual forces. Right. And we might think in the West, it's nuts. It's not nuts. Nope. It's real. Right. The, the problem is, and that's why the house worship. The whole economy of the temple or the tabernacles flip opposite. God's coming to us with gifts, yeah. and we're responding to Him, right? Rather than I'm coming with gifts, and God is having to respond to me. Yeah. And so it's more than loca- the location determines the rhythm and the direction of right. what's going on spiritually.
0: Right. And by having that locatedness, God uh, helps to ensure that they don't keep pursuing that, that false worship. And, but I, I love how I put it there. Anytime we have a kind of contractual view of worship or sacrifice, falling into, I mean, this is always what false gods are requiring and demanding. You do this, um, then X, Y, Z. Uh, God has a, a very different approach. I, I want to look at, look at the, the text that Sandy was alluding to a moment ago because then it, it factors in here. That when we think about this, not merely as a location, but as how God has located him in in terms of a place, but how God has located himself now in his son, Jesus. So go to to John chapter 4. And this is the conversation that uh, Jesus has with the Samaritan woman. And it's part of a a longer text. I just want to pick out a, a little selection from it. So Jesus is there with the Samaritan woman at the, at the well, kind of calling her out for her many husbands. And uh, then he, verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So now, worship is not merely located in a physical, geographical location, but now is located in the Son of God Himself. As uh, was alluded to before in John 1.14, the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us, as God has now made His presence among us in His Son, Jesus. So if you want to know where to worship, it's not a where, but it's a who. That's where our true worship belongs. And Here in Acts chapter 4, then it gets even more explicit. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So when we talk about this exclusivity of God, it's not an exclusivity to a place. Now it's an exclusivity to a person. To Jesus Himself, that no salvation is found in no one else. Now, uh, needless to say, this is not the most popular view in our culture today, right? I oh wait a second, and we more have the the picture that it's a lot more palatable to have that picture of worship that we had up before, where you know you just be out in the in nature and you know arms open, like you just kind of worship whatever. what, and what, was the, this, what did the sign say um, the, on the marquee? Oh, it said, may the God of your choice bless you.
1: you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh,
0: Puke. Um, so my question oh, is, how can Christians communicate this compassionately? How can we communicate the exclusivity of Jesus? Because I think there's two temptations. One is to just tamp it down, water it down, and say, "Well, I mean, we we're, we like Jesus, but you know, if you've got something else going on, like it's all at the end of the day, it's all the same thing. We're all groping. We're all blind people groping the elephant. You've heard that one before. Okay. Like, there's actually an elephant there. It doesn't matter if you happen to think that it's a tree trunk. It really isn't. Anyway, um, that's the one. But the other, the other." Danger is to just be jerks about this, right? And to have that attitude, like Jesus was critiquing, where um, that not recognizing that salvation goes extends to the Gentiles and His forgiveness and His atoning work is for all people. So, how can we convey this, communicate this in a way that is compassionate but still um, full of conviction of the of the truth? So, thoughts? Yeah.
1: Well, before his parents became Christians, um, you know,
2: we were going to church every Sunday. And his mother said something to me one time. She said, "Can't they get along with you? Up, get along without you just one Sunday?" Mm. And I said, "Yeah, they probably can, but I can't." Mm. Mm-hmm. So, so I was putting it on me.
0: Yeah.
2: You know, rather than them. Yeah,
0: and so it was a witness in that way to recognize, like, this is where <laughs> I need to be, and it's part of that whole, whole body. Right. Okay. Yeah, good. Yeah, Court. I think
1: when
2: we witness the people, mm-hmm. you've got to recognize where they are and not push them too hard. Sure, recognize
0: where they are, not push them too yes. hard. Yeah, when good. I was
2: having my hair cut.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, sure
2: enough. Yeah. <laughs> I was talking to the girl there, and she said, Well, you know, she says, I don't go to church. I says, don't you believe there's a God? I said, this world didn't happen by mistake. Yeah. And she says, no, I don't believe that. And we didn't get much beyond yeah. that. Well,
0: but you're gonna get your haircut again.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <Are> you <sure? laughs> yeah.
0: But no, that's great. I mean, court the evangelist, and that's but that this is the you know, when you have those opportunities and Free plug here with our neighborhood ambassador training starting up in February. This is one way to help equip you to feel more confident in those opportunities to share and to recognize one of the things that we stress or that Pastor Greg Finke stresses, we use his materials is, look, people are like fruit. They're they're not all ripe at the same time, right? You know, I'm not talking about, oh, he's a little ripe. But I'm talking about how, like, you know, maybe she, maybe you're, your uh hairstylist, your uh or barber as <laughs> what she is
2: a <laughs> Yeah.
0: Uh that she she's just at that first step of having that conversation. And maybe you come back the next time and the conversation goes a little further. You don't have to have it all figured out. But anyway, I think that you've you've demonstrated in sharing that one one of the answers to this question, which is to do so where people are at. Meet them where, where they're at. Yeah, Esther. I think too um
1: you know loving your neighbor mm-hmm. is so important because um, one of the experiences I had, the lady finally asked me, why are you doing this? Yes, right. <laughs> why are
0: you doing this?
1: Because Jesus has done so much for me.
0: Yeah. I mean, this you know, is, that's... I mean, he
1: loves you and wants you to, you know... To know him. It, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And that's that 1 Peter 3, right? Mm-hmm. Of, of be prepared to give a reason for the hope that is in you. you. Do so with gentleness and respect. And the supposition of that verse is they are going to ask you. Yeah. As you show them love, as you share God's heart with them, they're going to ask, and then you have an opportunity to testify.
1: Yeah. On the opposite side, there are, have begun to be Lutheran churches that take the Lutheran off their name. Sure, the right. Signboard. You know, it's. St. John's Church, right? or Covenant Church, or whatever, and trying to dummy down the message. I think that's very disturbing.
0: I think we want to have a a witness mentality, but not a market mentality. And I think that there's a a temptation in America for churches to kind of treat Jesus like a product and to think, what do we got to do in order Mm -hmm. to just be kind of relevant to market ourselves well, brand ourselves well. And that's not what Witnesses is about. At the end of the day, it's about people truly encountering the risen Lord. And that's not gonna happen because of, you know, uh, you, you took the name Lutheran off your, off your sign. Yeah. Yeah, Bob.
2: Yeah, this whole exclusivity thing is profound and it's kind of rocked the church and hmm. kind of made us, maybe there's something wrong with us. Hmm. And, and, and the point of fact exclusivities is um, it's a mirage. Um, the fact that he's the only way doesn't quite answer the question. He's the only way for every human being, right. which is very inclusive. Inclusive, yes, exactly. historic. I was asked to do the invocation for a thriving event once so I prayed in the name of our Lord. It was up in San Francisco. Mm. You know, we we're gonna watch the Giants lose. And um, <laughs> and um, as I got in line for the brats, a, a young guy came up, i used uh, his the name Jerry. and He said, hey, my name's Jerry, da, da, da. And he said, can I talk to you about your prayer? <laughs> and I said, gee, no one's ever asked me <laughs> that before. But anyway, he um, proceeded to say, I like what you were doing, but I think you could get further if you didn't use the name Jesus. Right. And and of course this is a Lutheran event, right? right. I figured, okay, I'm missing a piece here. And right. then he I'm sorry, he said, My wife's the Lutheran, I'm Jewish. Mm. And, and we're trying to get there, you're trying to get there, Muslims are trying to get there, Hindus are he said, I think you could do better if you were more inclusive. Mm. And and I said, well, first, can I thank you that you gave me the Messiah. Your people mm. gave me the Messiah. Mm-hmm. I'm a Gentile, mm-hmm. and I received crumbs from the table. Mm. He's your Messiah. Yeah. Thank you. But I said, um, let's talk about this. I said, you study Torah? He said, oh, yeah. And then I asked the Dr. Phil question. How's it working for you? <laughs> How's it working for you? He said, what do you mean? I said, you, you know God's word, the Torah how you doing to be honest he said not very well I said you know I'm a Christian and I'm not doing very well either hmm. um, he said now we're talking the same language hmm. and as we got into that side of the conversation we began to share a common malady and that was we're hurt yeah but it took that Dr. Phil question hmm. to, to get there and then I asked him I said, it's like we all have ladders that are leaned up against a wall and God's sitting on top of the building. We're all climbing these ladders, a Christian ladder, there's a Muslim ladder, there's a Buddhist ladder and we're all climbing and the rungs are breaking and we're trying harder and we're getting tired. He said, I can go with that. And again he said, now (laughs) we're getting somewhere. And I said, do you think God cares? And he said, I would hope so. And I said, what if What if he knew every ladder, no matter whose ladder it was, was broken, so he had to come this way with his ladder, through his son Jesus? And Jerry stepped back, literally, two steps from me, looked me straight in the eye, and he says, I have never heard that before, that changes everything.
0: Yes, that's exactly right, that our God is the God who comes down to meet us, and all of our ladders, every human-constructed ladder is always going to fail. Uh, an author named Paul Zoll defines grace as God's one-way love. Okay, but It's not a, we're going to meet God halfway, uh, but he comes down to us and picks us
2: up. It's like the woman at the well. He went to find he her. He went to find her, yeah.
0: That's right. And so in that, in that respect, <clears throat> as I think I've, I've said before, we are exclusively inclusive. <laughs> or inclusively exclusive, if you like. That um, yes, salvation is found in no other name in Jesus, but that name is for all people, and that's that's God's God's design. All right, going gonna we're we're probably not gonna get through all of seventeen, <laughs> but let's start by talk. Let's talk some about blood, um, as I know you were hoping we would do. <laughs> um, let, sorry, let me get, let me get back there. <clears throat> All right, it goes it continues on verse 10. If any one of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. Here's the key verse. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Therefore I have said to the people of Israel No person among you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger who sojourns among you eat blood. All right, I can stop there. This is the key point, the key verse there in verse 11. The life of the flesh is in the blood. I've given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. This answers that question again of why God emphasizes that location because they want atonement. Atonement happens at the altar. Now, for us, we would um, kind of stretch that up, say atonement happens in Christ. It's delivered at the altar in the, in the sacrament, but we find that altar being of where Jesus is rather than of a particular temple. But what blood does, the life is in the blood. Blood bridges the material and the spiritual, the natural and the supernatural. Blood is this is the only thing in creation that's both material and also at the same time spiritual in that uh, particular way, and the word there for life is nefesh. Let me hear you say nefesh. 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 It's a good Hebrew word. Literally, it means soul. Okay. So the soul of the flesh is in the blood. You see this kind of um, conjoining of heaven and earth, of spiritual and material of. Natural and supernatural. Nefesh is the word there in Genesis 2, at creation. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature, a nefesh Okay, Uh, So that living creature, a soulish creature, the soul of the flesh, the life of the flesh is in the blood. Blood brings together and bridges that spiritual and material and as Bob was mentioning before, this is something that while in the West we tend to poo-poo it, it's very much recognized in what we would call more primitive societies, traditional societies. And any kind of animist sort of culture is going to see this up and down. That, well, uh, before Casey mentioned Haiti, the same, same thing in, in Haiti, where that there's some kind of supernatural life force in blood. And so they would drink blood. Try to you know, get it directly into them, or as it says, eat blood, eating it with the, with the meat as well. And uh, So this is the, the perspective from which God is coming here. He affirms the fact that, yes, there is this particular life power in the blood, but no, that doesn't mean that you should drink or eat it, okay? Because this, is, in fact, is what all the surrounding nations that they are going to um, be doing. Yeah, yeah.
1: I Have given it for you. Yes. I think that's a, a strange pronoun to use. I have given
0: it. Yeah. That the blood is a gift and that God has given the blood. And that, well, I think I've got it on your handout there, a quote from, from Chad Bird. Um, let's see. I on slide for it. But he kind of paraphrases um, this in New Testament terms. We think about what has um, happened here from a New Testament perspective. The life of God is in the blood of Christ, and he has given it to us on the altar of the cross to make atonement for our souls. So that, you know, to to bring Leviticus 17 forward into the New Testament, the life of God is in the blood of Christ, and he has given to us and for us on that altar of the cross to make atonement for our souls. Um, So it is, it's a, a remarkable turn a phrase that I think uh, unmistakably points forward to the blood of his son given for us. Yeah, ma'am? Or were you just scratching your head? Uh, I'm kind of scratching my head. But I am noticing the stranger among you, sojourning among you, is mentioned frequently in this passage
1: and, and,
0: and what's coming up. And I do think that's, it had to have been difficult to get people who were of Either animistic cultures or whatever yeah. they were encountering, yes. that they no doubt met. Maybe even had as members of their household those slaves. Who knows? Right. But they couldn't continue those practices right within uh, their household. And um, yeah, there. I mean, it, it's so interesting, and that kind of has both, uh, if I can put it this way, a law and a gospel side to it, right? So the the law side of it is kind of like. You might put it this way. If you're under my house, under my roof, you're going to follow our our way of of worshiping, right? You know, you're not going to continue going out drinking the blood. But then the gospel side of it is, but this is for you too. This is not just for the people of God, but also for the sojourner and the stranger. Uh, The God of Israel wants to welcome them in as well. So, um, yeah, that's something that really does stand out here uh, also to me. So, yeah, go ahead and listen.
1: I look at that as it's kind of like,
0: how do you like your steak? Rare, medium? Yeah. Well, you know, yeah. it's kind of a... Medium rare, but yeah. yes. Um, yeah. Wow. That, there, and it actually, as the chapter goes on, too, it even talks about, well, what about, you know, your roadkill? And uh, do you, it doesn't use roadkill, but that's what it's talking about, basically, carry-on, and uh, how, do you, how do you have that as well? has particular rules for that, too. Um, I think we're going to have to stop there. I've got more to say about this, but we'll pick, we'll pick up here next week talking about blood and atonement uh, because there's still a, a, a lot to say there. But thank you guys for your uh, presence and participation today, and we'll continue next week. See you then.